Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. This is the last of what is a three-part series entitled The Time Is Now. Last week, we had the second part that referenced servanthood and how the disciples, their primary identity was not disciples or apostles or any of those things, but but being a servant uh, was the thing that they identified with the most, whether that was serving within the church, as we gave you opportunities to consider last week, or whether it's serving in work or at home, that anything we do before the Lord uh, reflects to our master. And so when we do our work well, that we're in fact doing, uh, in essence, a godly thing. We talked at the beginning of this series about the time being now to gather, the importance of gathering, how habits have changed, and maybe even our view of church has changed in the last year and a half. And so some have found other habits forming and how we need to reshape those habits to make gathering, once again, uh, one of the important things that is part of our life. Uh, The term habit is drawn from an ancient word that talks like clothing being attached or being put on. It's something we wear. It's the small decisions that we make and actions that we perform every day. And our life is essentially the sum of our habits. We're told that if we want to change our habits, the best thing is to surround ourselves with people who live the way that you want to live. And so we need to have a theology of gathering, of the importance that God moves in our gathering, but also that in coming together, we form even better habits uh, with others who want to live the way we want to live, those who want to follow the ways of Christ and become like him. And there's something about that gathering that's important. Today I want to talk to you now of actually developing another type of habit uh, in the issue of giving. It's not that far away yet uh, that we couldn't recall what things were like last March. The streets were empty. There were no cars on the road. There were two or three of us here at the church, myself, Jeff Brown, uh, Janet up on the front office who would manage the, the, the phones, who came in regularly. Others on occasions would rotate through. And I remember coming in every day and the emptiness that was on the streets and the realization that I could probably go as fast as I wanted to and there wouldn't be an issue of any kind. But it was eerie and strange. All of us were concerned over jobs, income, homes, family. The fear and anxiety rode really high. And um, today as we're discussing giving, incidentally, is the first time in practically two years now that we're actually discussing the issue of giving and tithing. 
people realized at that time last year that this was going to stretch on for a long time, and churches began to grapple with this as well, as did we. I remember very quickly as it was realized how this was going to go, one church putting out a notice to their people saying, please don't forget the church. And I confess, I found that infuriating. Uh, That in a time of fear and in a time of confusion, when others are struggling, that they would emphasize so strongly, don't forget the church in this. We know you're losing a job or you've, uh, you know, are, are fearful yourself for your future. But hey, don't forget us here and, and the work of the church. And I found that really disturbing. Uh, we struggled with fear as well. But we chose at that time to lean into faith, not because we're any better but I think probably because there'd been better planning maybe beforehand that we weren't immediately pressed in that fashion, Uh, but also because the way that we've approached these things over the years, there's only one time in our entire history that we've ever approached near year end in December one time when the finances were were pressed because of the economic circumstance and collapse that was happening at that time in the country. And it was a two or three minute conversation on a Sunday morning. So it's not been something that we've ever done that. We've always leaned into the faith side instead of the fear. And even with this, without knowing what was going to be happening, it never crossed our minds to press the congregation to think of the church first before their own circumstances. It was a position that was utterly validated because as the weeks went by without anything ever being said, People increased their online giving or gave online for the first time. Others would stop by the church and drop off tithes and offerings. Others mailed in through U.S. Postal Services checks or or tithes, which of course means that most of that will arrive about a year and a half from now, of course. I remember being with different staff members and being told of what was happening and the tears that formed in our eyes and just the utter faithfulness of this church in regards to these things. So we never made a statement like that, never had to, never would have. Money is important. It indicates things about us. The term tithe, uh, maybe you're not even familiar with it. It's an Old Testament term that was formalized in Jewish giving. But it begins with a guy named Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, who at one point rescues his nephew Lot from some raiders. And in doing so, he also rescues accidentally, so to say, um, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, pretty nasty people. And they want to give him money in return for it. And he refuses it, even though he has every right to it. He refuses it because he doesn't want to be identified with these wicked people or in any way, as he says, to have people say that you made me rich. So he chooses to not have that. But as he's coming back from the raid with what he has gleaned from it, he encounters a mysterious figure called Melchizedek, a priest king of God who comes out of the city of Jerusalem and approaches Abraham with bread and wine. And uh, Abraham gives him a tenth, a tithe, 10% of everything he's gleaned. He wants to identify with this priest king of God. He chooses to link in that way and give a thanksgiving to God for the victory that he has achieved. So we find that first tithe being offered as a form of identification and as a form of 
of honoring and connecting with the things of God. When we go into um, how we're to give and how it's to be related, one of the key passages is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And the first verse is often misused. It says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And this is talking about a blessing being received. And there's other passages that talk about blessing. Proverbs 22, verses, verse 9, rather, the generous will themselves be blessed. And even Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, given, it'll be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we know that there's blessings that are that we receive in giving. But number one, that's not why we give. And two, um, it speaks more of God's character than of anything to do with us. And that blessing may not always be financially. It may be spiritually, it may be in other fashions. But there are those that are part of something in this country called the prosperity doctrine who use this to say give to the church or give in this way and you'll receive more. So even if you don't have anything, give and you'll receive more back. And uh, um, God wants everyone to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And and, uh, and if you're not, then it's because you either have no faith or it's because you've not given enough, so give more money. And it's a really vicious doctrine, and it's unbiblical. And just to disprove that, I would just go and say to this, show me one of the disciples that died wealthy or in bed other than John in exile on the island of Patmos, but he was not wealthy in any fashion. Uh or our original founder, Jesus Christ, who lived only to 33 and uh, only owned one suit of clothes, as far as we can tell. And so this concept of a prosperity doctrine is just a completely misplaced thing. There is a blessing that comes with giving, but it speaks of God's character, not ours. And it's not the reason we're to give, and it's not always going to come in any financial fashion, necessarily. The key passage is the verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You decide. It shouldn't be reluctant or under compulsion, and then you contrast that with this cheerful giver. And what the writer was probably referencing here was that the fact that the Jews had in the temple two chests for giving, two things to receive giving, and one was of what was necessary. In other words, what the law required. The other was of free will offerings. So in other words, to escape hell, some would grudgingly give what necessity obliged them to do into that first chest. Others, though, would give cheerfully, strictly for the love of God and through pity for those who had need. And of the first, nothing is said in this passage. They simply did what the law required. But the second says in this that God loves this cheerful giver, that God has an affection for them that's unique. If we give not for blessings, not for our own needs or to escape hell, but freely and openly. This term cheerful giver is uh, based in a Greek word that is hilaros, and it's the only time this word is used in the scripture anywhere. And it's the word from which we draw uh, our term hilarious. And so God wants us to give happily because this is how God himself gives. God gives hilariously. He gives freely. It's a joy for him to give to us. 
And he wants us to give not out of compulsion or reluctance, but freely, hilariously, in the same way that he gives, out of the same generosity that he gives. This passage of 2 Corinthians in the Amplified Version, chapter 9, verse 7, says, Each one should give thoughtfully and with purpose, just as he decided in his heart to give, not grudgingly under compulsion, for God loves his cheerful giver. And the cheerful giver, they expand in this translation to say that he delights in the one whose heart is in the gift. So thoughtfully and with purpose, and that we look and see, is our heart in this gift? In the message version of the same passage, it says, I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. Plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind of what you will give. This will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver gives and delights in the giving. And so um, we'd even talked about uh, having an offer and taking at the end of this service as an illustration. And reading these passages, though, we felt that, no, our first offering in 18 months, and for the first time we've discussed finances in two years, that it should be done um, next week. And so we're going to begin next week, the first week of August, with our first communion ever, in the last 18 months, rather, full communion. And our first offering will be received at that point in time too. Um, that gives us plenty of time to think it over and uh, to think carefully of what we do in, in the process of that um, so that in no way are we going to be you know, manipulated or moved in any fashion. Uh, there's a time when we were in Russia doing a lot of ministry and uh, um, one of the things the gypsies we were told would do, and I actually witnessed this one time, is that they would pinch their own children and their own babies to make them cry as they'd come up to us asking for money. I saw a mother do this, viciously pinching her baby as she began to approach us, and then as the baby was crying out, would use that to try to manipulate what was taking place. Um, I guarantee to you that we will never pinch the baby. You will never hear from us the current sob story or manipulative fashion as to why you need to give. Um, instead, you're going to receive the teaching just as you've received here today to understand what those things are about. To know that, yes, as Proverbs says, and Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, there's a blessing that comes with such generosity. But that's not why we give. Uh, we find the deeper reasons, beginning in James chapter 1, verse 7 that says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So in other words, every gift we have, everything that's good and perfect comes from God. So we give not for blessing. We give to recognize as did Abraham victory and success comes from God. We do it to give in thanksgiving and a recognition of the various talents, gifts, uh, air we breathe and, and finances we have and jobs we have coming from God. It goes deeper than that, though, beyond just blessing or thanksgiving or recognition, but to an issue of obedience. In 1 Peter 4.10, there's this incredible passage of Scripture that says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Everything we have is to serve others. But then this, 
as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's an incredible statement. We're to be stewards. In other words, we have been given stuff. And some of that stuff is for our family, or some of that stuff is for our own lives. But also some of that stuff is to be given to others, that we don't own any of the stuff. It's all stuff that has been given to us by God. He's the master. He's the owner. We are stewards of it. And some of those things we can use for these different reasons. But ultimately, it's to serve others and as faithful stewards who will one day give account to the master of how we used his stuff to recognize that we're supposed to be a conduit of God's grace in all its various forms. That's an incredible statement that we're to be used as conduits for God's grace. All our time, talents, gifts, money, and resources. Yes, there's a blessing. There's an important thing about being generous. It shapes our own character. We're like God when we're generous and giving hilariously and freely, but also recognizing that all gifts come from him, but ultimately realizing that we're to be faithful stewards of God's grace. There are things that happen in our giving that goes way beyond when we give, particularly within the church, in ways that maybe we don't always hear about. Let me let you know about one, and you'll hear a little bit more about it next week when Bishop Harris comes to speak with us, someone who is well-known to us and a, and a longtime friend. Bishop Harris uh, heads up a Ceasefire, an initiative in Detroit to end gang violence. He also is the founder of the Faith-Based, Co Faith -based Coalition, something that, that uh, we are part of as a church and we're one of the co-founders of. And his purpose is to help those who have been victims of violence and to end the violence in Detroit. And so your giving, if you've given to this church in recent years, has gone to help some of the victims of violence, those who've witnessed it, to find them safe haven, to provide for them, to um, help the healing in the midst. And so most of the serious situations you've heard of in Detroit, of shootings or, or, or murders, you've assisted the victims of that without even being aware of it and realizing it. And as we watched last year, as legitimate protesting often turned into illeg illegitimate rioting and violence, and we saw cities around the country go up in flames, and there was the assumption that Detroit, with our history, would follow that pattern. It didn't. It was one of the few situations with a history such as ours that did not do that. And the truth of the matter is, your participation in giving is one of the reasons that saved our city. See, Bishop Harris was on the ground through every single one of those protests. And when people tried to twist, and they did try to twist and turn that into something violent and ugly, he was there speaking peace and had history and authority in the moment such that the mayor of Detroit and the um, chief of police of Detroit both credited specifically Bishop Harris and the work of the coalition in keeping the peace uh, in this past season of time. That's an amazing thing. And he'll be with us here next week. And we'll hear more about that perhaps then. We've had the pantry going on this past 18 months that have fed people. So you've helped to feed people. We've been involved in Osborne community in Detroit with one of our own staff members, Erica uh, Beal, who's been there. We have our own room there even as a church where students can stop by, be encouraged and shown different things. And we've been working in that entire area for a number of years now. 
Uh, in the church right now, children are being taught in every service the things of God. Teenagers are supported through the youth ministry in other ways to be able to stand against the culture and the things that would tear them down and given a place for community and encouragement and education. Uh, another thing that's been really important to us has been our involvement in Costa Rica, various different countries, but for a number of years now with Costa Rica and uh, partnering there with Miguel and his wife Karina. And while their church has been shut down for the last year and a half due to the, call of the uh, government and COVID, they've continued to minister in the barrios and in the poorest places of Costa Rica and the capital there. And um, we've been supporting that for years. Uh, they have, in fact, managed still in the midst of everything else to establish a dental clinic during this time. And um, one of the things that we're going to be doing with this first offering, in fact, that we're going to receive uh, next week is that anything that is not specifically marked as Rock Point ties or an envelope as such, if it is left loose in the offering or is marked Costa Rica, we're going to be receiving that offering, our first offering in 18 months. And it'll be heavily, it'll go towards Costa Rica. And so anything that's loose or free there, if it's not marked specifically for ties, um, is going to be marked for and given to Costa Rica. This is the way we operate. These are how we go with things. Faith-based coalition, all these other things. And these are just a sampling of some of the things. The truth of the matter is, is that um, there's a lot of important work yet to be done. I guarantee you there are more people addicted now than there was 18 months ago, that there's more marriages hurting, that there are more suicidal thoughts, there's more depression and more loneliness and more brokenness than ever before. And the gospel of Jesus Christ works in that environment powerfully and transformationally. And every time that you do give to this church specifically, you're casting your vote that this ministry should continue that the work that has been going on, whether it's in Detroit or locally or internationally, should continue on. And so we know there's a blessing, but that's not why we give. We do give cheerfully and freely with thoughtfulness and, and, and with purpose, and our heart is in our gift, and we take time to think it over. And um, we do it generously because that's the nature of God. We do it because every good and get, perfect gift come from Him, and so we are thankful and recognizing every victory that is in Him. We give because we're faithful stewards of his grace to serve others uh, and, and to take account of that thing before the Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse 34 says, For where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It shows our priorities. It shows what's important to us and what we feel and view to be important, that we'd support it in that way. And then finally, in Matthew, we find in chapter 10, Freely you've received freely give. Freely you've received, freely give. We've been given something generously, freely by God. And in turn, we're to give freely and generously back to him and to others. I want to conclude with this one um, story that we find in the book of Luke. Jesus is at a party being held by one of the Pharisees named Simon, a dinner party. And in the middle of the dinner party, Everyone drops silent as this woman walks into the room. And she's known to them as a woman of ill repute. She's known as a woman who was probably a prostitute and had no business being there. And they're shocked. Shocked all the more, she goes over to Jesus and she begins to weep and, and wash his feet with her tears. 
And then as uh, she wipes it down with her hair, she then breaks open a bottle of expensive perfume. This is expensive stuff. It would have been sealed in an alabaster or clay jar and until its usage. And it was probably a result of her uh, ill-gotten gains that she would have used to purchase it, uh, probably also to use in her work to attract people. She could have sold it. She could have done other things having come out of that now after encountering Jesus, but instead she brings it and she breaks it after washing his feet and, and anoints his feet with this perfume and it fills the entire room. Judas, we're told in one passage, and John is looking at this and is thinking, oh, it should have been sold and money given to the poor, but it's his twisted hypocritical heart because he controls the finances of the group and he was dipping into it for his own purposes, so he's just annoyed that he didn't get his cut. He doesn't see what's going on. Simon looks, and he's not getting it too much either. He's thinking, wow, Jesus isn't very perceptive after all. He can't be that great or wise, or he would know just by appearance who this woman is and wouldn't allow her to touch him. So it's interesting when Jesus reads his mind and calls him out and says, Simon, let me tell you a story. There's two servants, and one is forgiven much. And one is forgiven very little. One's forgiven, say, a million dollars. The other one's forgiven a debt of only a thousand dollars. Who do you think loves more? And Simon says, well, I guess the one who was forgiven more. He says, you're right. He says, I came into your house and you didn't wash my feet because a lot of times you'd collect stuff from open sewers and so it was appropriate to wash the feet of a guest. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't uh, anoint my my hair with an oil, which would have been also common. But this woman has not stopped weeping and washing my feet. She's anointed with this perfume. She is understanding what she's been forgiven in her sin and the greatness of it. He was trying to get through to Simon that, um, that Simon had been forgiven just as much. If we sin even one sin, we have no relationship with God. And so we've been given freely of grace and forgiveness that allows us to be in God's presence is a huge forgiveness of, a, of an incredibly fantastic debt. And our love should pour out in generosity and, and the desire to serve and to, to love him. And Simon couldn't get that. Judas was blinded by the money entirely. Simon couldn't understand it at all. But this woman, in her simplicity, recognized just how much her redemption her spiritual healing and restoration meant. So she pours out the perfume that would have been an echo of her past life. It is said that two people left that room that day smelling the same. Jesus and that woman. So one of the questions I'd have for you today is, how do you smell? Do you give because of blessing and a twisted theology that says the more you give, the more you get? Or do you give out of generosity with thoughtfulness and intent? Do you give freely because you've received freely? Do you give as a steward who will one day give account of how we've been a conduit of God's grace to serve others? Do we give to identify with him? We give and pour out that which is most precious, precious to us in order that we might smell like him.
We're to gather because that's what it means to be the church. We're to serve because that's the way that Jesus Christ himself identified. And we're to give because our master has entrusted us with his stuff. And he gives freely and generously in the same way are we also to do so. May God bless you. May he guide you and how you and I are stewards of his grace. Amen.